Right now, 90% of healthcare providers still depend on manual processes. We need to change this stat, stat. At RICO, we capture, connect, and secure unstructured data to unlock the power of your information. This helps providers speed up intake, ensure accurate information, and optimize operations. To us, there's no such thing as TMI. RICO, imagine change. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. You're listening to Underground USA. In today's progressive fascist society that centers on government being able to mandate what is your right, what is wrong, what is acceptable, what you're allowed to do, the subject of religion is one that is contentious to the left. As we approach the Easter weekend, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and Easter Sunday, I had the opportunity to talk with Justin Carroll, who is an herbalist by trade, but he has a deep understanding of our Judeo-Christian roots, the role that religion plays in America, or the role it should play in America, and knows firsthand the sting of the fascist left when it comes to trying to confront our natural law rights to be able to practice our own religions. When I come back, an interview with Justin Carroll. Did you know that Yopon is the only tea plant indigenous to the United States? Hi, I'm CJ, the owner of Emerald Coast Tea Company. We have a line of Yopon teas and Yopon tea blends that will open your eyes to tea that is literally made in the USA. Check out our entire line of teas at www.emeraldcoastteacompany.com. Honey, this ain't your mama's tea. Judson, thanks for coming back on Underground USA. Always always happy to have you here. And as the people uh, who are listening now, Judson Carroll, the name sounds very familiar because you hear uh, the promos for his excellent podcast that I drop in when I need break content uh, when I'm doing the national interviews on, on the Captain's America with Matt Bruce and talk back with Chuck Wilder. So Judson, thanks for coming back on. It's always my pleasure, but it's not just my pleasure, it's my honor. Oh, well. I think listeners should know that uh, Frank is like the nicest guy on the face of the earth. So <laughs> for a Southern saying that about a Yankee, you know, I'm telling you the truth. All right. Yeah. You <laughs> see, this is, this is how you, this is how you bridge the divide people recently. And, and I touched on this in the, in the run-up uh, you had a little bit of an, and I guess confrontation may be the wrong word to use but that's the one I'm going to use. You had a confrontation online in a, in a chat about religion of all things 
as it was related to your herbalism, which I found, again, I guess it was a little bit about being prepared and everything else, but it turned to religion. Can you give us a little summary of what happened, how it came about and, uh, and where it went? Okay. Yeah. It was kind of surprising. You know, my, uh, well, my best-selling book to this point is herbal medicine for preppers, homesteaders, and permaculture people. So I interact a lot with the prepper community. I, I really always have, I mean, um, kind of my, my lifestyle living off the land, uh, is very, uh, interesting to people who think, what would I do? You know, if the grid goes down, if there's a, if there's a big emergency and all that. And, um, 99.9% .9 of the time, they're the greatest people on the face of the earth. Absolutely love them. And, um, one of the forums I was in, I won't mention the name of it. Uh, it was, so this didn't have so much to do with herbal medicine, except a little tangentially. I was very active communicating with a lot of people on there. It's one of those things where like, I don't know if you, if you've been on Facebook for a while or something, you know, I'm no longer on Facebook, but you're like, Oh, I've got 800 friends. And suddenly you say something one day and they're not your friend anymore. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, this was right at the beginning of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And just to give you a little perspective, my uh, best friend is, probably lying in a mass grave in either Odessa or Mariupol right now. Um, Jesus. She's, she, uh, I don't know whether to say in the past tense yet. I have not heard from her in 45 days. She did not get out in time. Her son was going into military service and her mother's in her nineties. And she's, she's a pure Slav. I mean, she would fight to the end, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, speaks five languages. Her father was a classical musician. She's an incredible artist and uh, multiple degrees in engineering. You're talking one of the most refined, intelligent, uh, genuinely kind and good women on the face of the earth. And uh, she probably didn't make it out. I, I am. And, I am pained to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I keep saying prayers, but um, you know, it's didn't, make it out in time. I'll just put it that way. And, and, you know, I, I said, if there's anything I can do, I'll help you in any way. And she said, no, I'm, I'm staying here to fight. And she made her, her choice. And, and I know she wouldn't back down from that. So I'm very proud of her and very sad at the same time. So um, when this happened um, on this forum, suddenly like six new people joined within 24 hours and they were just pure Russian trolls. I mean, they start out with, you know, Russia is going to crush the, the Nazi Ukrainians. I mean, this is the kind of propaganda stuff they're saying. And uh, they said it was uh, Russia was spreading the true religion throughout Europe. The and true I'm like, religion. Yeah. I'm like, uh, OK, um, well, this was a, you know, a Christian based Christian themed group. And I said, well, OK, the duty of a Christian is to pray for peace and for safety of innocent civilians, uh, not really to celebrate the slaughter of innocent civilians. Right. And so they come back, you know, what religion are you? And I said, well, I'm Roman Catholic. And boy, I mean, <laughs> the trolls came out of every side. And I mean, it was, first of all, they, they changed to, you know, Russia's like basically on a religious crusade to purify uh, Europe, everybody in Ukraine's a Nazi. 
This is all um, a Catholic conspiracy of running a pedophile smuggling operation somehow connected to Jeffrey Epstein and the Clintons. I mean, we're getting Whoa. Like, you know, oh, yeah, right out of the, off the bat. I mean, if you don't think Russian trolls know exactly what the QAnon folks have been talking about. Yeah, they do. Um, and I got nothing against QAnon folks. Some of them are good, too. And I'm just saying this propaganda is coming from people sitting in Moscow on computers somewhere. And then, uh, oh, and then it was all the Jews' fault. Blame the Jews for everything. All the Ukrainians, if they're not Catholic Nazis somehow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who's Zionists, right? So, so, they don't, so they don't know who to hate. And then, you know, next thing I know, other people that aren't Russian trolls are coming out saying, you know, Catholics created the Holocaust. Uh, there's some kind of alliance between the Pope, who's the Antichrist, and Zionists, and, you know, all that crazy stuff. Well, and, it, it, it makes Alec Jones sound like somebody who's actually selling good humor ice cream. Exactly, yes. <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, you're just suddenly being hit by all sides by... Uh, not just the Russian trolls, but um, Seven Day Adventists, um, Torah observant Christians. That's sort of a somewhat new thing. Um, um, they would say it's a very old thing, but it's uh, people who still live by all who are Christians, and many of them, you know, really strong believing, wonderful, good hearted people who believe that they still have all the laws of you know Moses, the Mosaic laws. Okay. You know, they go to church on a different day than we go to church and they think that's very important. Okay. I got that. That's cool. But suddenly there's like this uniting, this gelling of all these anti-Catholic people coming together. And, uh, you know, there were two or three other Catholic folks on there. We were pretty upset. We contacted the, the owner of the thing several times. I personally emailed him five times. He did not respond. And I just said, fine, I'm done with it. I'm done with that. I, I, this isn't worth it. it it's just uh, it's become very negative and very toxic. Right. But what hit me afterwards, just it took a few days to let everything sink in. And you kind of reached out to me during this time. And uh, I thought, well, I'm not sure I have anything to really tell Frank, except, you know, some, some people were, you know, up and no good. But when it came down to it, um, this story, this narrative felt way too familiar. I mean, you know, I, like I said, I, I'm I'm a Southerner of Irish here. You're uh, a Yankee of uh, presumably <laughs> Italian heritage. I'm going to guess that, right? Yeah, fifty percent. We'll, we'll we'll go there. We kind of have something in common. Uh, like we know we respect each other for giving each other a hard time, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, if you go into certain communities, if someone's not picking on you and insulting you, then you're really not respected. If they are, then you're one of the guys, right? Correct. So I have a thick skin. I don't get upset about things at all. In the community where I live, um, I mean, most of the people in the community are Church of God, Southern Baptist, um, Seventh-day Adventist, Jehovah's Witnesses. So, you know, half of them are going to end a conversation about religion, telling me I'm going to hell and I'm worshiping the Antichrist. <laughs> half are going to come to my door to tell me that. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's full service. Yeah, C, CJ was brought up in a, in a, in a Baptist type of thing. So um, she's not practicing, but, but it's, you, you, you understand that they're, they're trying, they believe that they're saving your soul. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I don't fault them. You know, when I actually, I'm a convert to Catholicism. I was at Liberty university taking a few there while I was working in politics with Dr. Jerry Falwell. 
uh, we were working on pro-life issues. Uh, Dr. Falwell was so kind to me, respectful of me. I mean, I think the world of the man or thought the world of the man. Um, trust me, all my friends at, at the school and in the community, when I became Catholic, uh, it was like an Amish shunning. <laughs> I mean, I am very used to uh, having conversations about religion that don't end well. I don't have a thin skin. Your barn will not be raised, sir. <laughs> okay. So, but what it, like I said, it did feel um, very uh, familiar. And when I thought about it, I thought back to a lot of the books I've read, you know, by David Horowitz. Um, you know, David Horowitz, his family were communists. He was raised communist. He knows more about um, the history of communism in America than just about anyone else. Um, you know, there was also a guy in the 60s. Um, Oh, he's a black civil rights leader, and his name is on the tip of my tongue and not coming to me. Um, but anyway, if, if I think about it, I'll tell you. They give the whole history of how basically when the Communist Party was getting going in America, they realized they could infiltrate. They couldn't fight Christianity. They could not defeat Christianity. I mean, you're talking late 1800s into you know 1950s, 1960s when America was an incredibly Christian nation, when the stores all closed on Sunday. And they realized that through like social justice and civil rights and various things, they could infiltrate Christian communities. First big infiltration really that they made was the temperance right after the Civil War. This was the, the, the communists here were so quick on the draw. I mean, the Communist Manifesto, the ink hadn't even dried yet. You had soldiers on both sides coming back from the war, injured, what we would now call PTSD. They were morphine addicts. They were alcoholics. There was a lot of problems. I mean, there were a lot of problems. That's what the Old West was all about. That's why it was so violent, you know. Um, the temperance movement said, well, we're going to ban alcohol. And that ended up being, you know, prohibition. I mean, it really took hold. That was the communists really infiltrating the churches under a cause. And one of the main reasons they really wanted to ban alcohol is because uh, the Catholic Church, um, we have to have wine in the Eucharist, in the communion, right? Mm -hmm. If they can ban alcohol, they could turn people against Catholics, against Italian immigrants and Irish immigrants. They always portrayed us as just a bunch of drunks, you know? They took over that whole movement. It was really successful. And they, <laughs> and they, and, and they, and they did it like the left normally does under the guise of doing something that's good for society. Exactly. Exactly. The next thing they always want to turn people against each other was the suffragette movement. You know, it was, you have women have to have the right to vote. Men are keeping you down. Well, in most States, you know, it varied by States, anyone who owned property could vote. It wasn't necessarily a matter of women couldn't vote. It was a matter of property owners to vote. Well, think about what that did to the erosion of property rights in the United States. I'm not saying women shouldn't vote, but it was championing a other, an otherwise good cause to continue to sow discord. That eventually becomes the feminist movement of the 1960s and 70s that's essentially destroyed the American family. Yeah, and when we're when you talk about the uh, you know going back to the landowner to vote, which was something that was understood and accepted at the at the revolution. At, uh, at the onset of our country, it was because they wanted people to have skin in the game who were voting. So it wasn't just women that didn't have the right to vote. A lot of men didn't have the right to vote either. 
Certainly, yes, especially among the Irish, many of who came over as indentured servants. I mean, the, the Irish are actually the most enslaved people in the history of the world. <laughs> yeah. yeah, people forget it when, you know, we, we hear about the reparations. Uh, BLM is making you know a lot of saber rattling today about the injustice that took place here. Two points. The United States is the only country on the face of the planet that went to war to abolish slavery. Yeah. You know, so this so this idea of reparations is is kind of reprehensible to me. But when you're talking about slavery or indentured servitude, it wasn't just blacks. It was just about every immigrant class that came to the United States ended up in one form or another being subservient to a ruling to an elitist ruling class. There were a lot of people who came to the United States and did it because they they were contracted to come and work for people over here to work off their debt. They were indentured. Right. So and they were actually, yeah, they were do less of their income than a slave was because they had already sold it away before they got here. Yeah. When so I mean, they actually get 50% of their, what they produced. So they you know, could have food and a, a roof over their head and clothes on their backs. And a lot of uh, indentured servants didn't even have that. But I mean, well beyond that, I mean, Native Americans enslaved each other. Native Americans bought African slaves as soon as they could, and Native Americans were also slaves for white people and Africans. Many of the Creoles, especially in uh, Louisiana, had Indian slaves. Yeah, so this is not a, you know, when, when you look at it the way they want to couch it today, it's very disingenuous. Oh, yeah. You know, in in portraying that it only happened to black people from Africa and that the white people here in the United States brought them over and did all of this, um, these actions under the the guise of slavery. Uh, getting into this subject, but this could be a multi-part podcast because it is absolutely not what's being portrayed. Oh, but, no. I, but I I, I want to get back to to how you were attacked. Well, uh, but along those lines, I also need to mention, like, we're talking about how they always champion a good cause. They always mm. champion a good cause. The entire civil rights movement was very much, I mean, David Horowitz has written about this, that other fellow whose name is, <laughs> Frank, you're going to have to edit this a little bit out. Give me one second. Look up this guy's name. Because uh, he wrote a whole book about it. It was called... Uh, Black and communist. Manning Johnson. Manning Johnson. Okay. Manning Johnson. Okay. So Manning Johnson in uh, the 1950s, I think, was already talking about how the communists had infiltrated the AME Zion Church, the black churches, and were recruiting people and actually educating them at uh, universities in Russia to be paid Russian agents in the United States to create division. If they could go into these very strong black Christian communities and advocate for amoral communist positions, saying basically, you're owed this, the white man you down, using that whole justice thing. I think it was Royce White the other day, you know, Royce White, he's running for Congress. He said, uh, the freedom, the liberty that the left is always presenting to the black population and to everybody. I mean, he was speaking as a black man. I'm saying this is to everybody. Is not liberty. It's not freedom. It's freedom from the consequences of one's actions. Mm -hmm. And that leads to nothing more than the slavery 
of the slavery of drug addiction and welfare addiction and broken family and violence. It can be argued, and I think successfully so, that, uh, and this, you know, some people may be aghast at the, at the words that I'm going to use, but I don't really care. Um, the black community, especially the sycophantic black community, the one that has the problem with all of the urban uh, violence, the one that is that has indentured itself to the government, they just traded in one plantation for another. Exactly. Uh, and Thomas Sowell, you know, he made the point that what the Democrats, the liberal Democrats were actually selling the black population was not uh, uh, self-actualized, realized, independent liberty and, and, and responsibility way of life. But it was actually the old Democratic uh, white trash way of life, you know, laying around all day drunk and, let, and not taking care of your kids. He had a, a specific term for that that would be quite offensive if I said it. Well, it's a, hey, we're underground, so I, you know, right. I've, well, I've, I've got an R rating stamped on this thing. So, but you know, here in, here in North Carolina, this was really the heart of it. I mean, uh, there's also another myth that you know, so many of our ancestors came here for religious liberty, and why many of them did. Most of them came here for property rights and the ability to make a living. And in North Carolina, it was basically illegal to be Catholic until about the time of the Civil War. Uh, Catholics were not allowed to own property or vote. Yeah, as a, as a matter of fact, and this is coming from me living in Maryland for a while, uh, Maryland was like the island in the, in the middle of the stream That's for, right. for a very long time, the only state that recognized Catholicism. That's right, due to a man named Charles Carroll. Right. And are you related by a chance? Uh, somewhere back there, but um, <laughs> probably a cousin's cousin's cousin. You know how we say it in the South. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the maladies of, of what can happen with the division and, and to pretty much back up everything you're saying about the 60s. Now, looking back, as we've peeled away the layers of the onion, we know for a fact that there was a an extensive, not only propaganda campaign and a in a co-opting campaign done by the soviets here in the united states during the 60s and the early 70s but they were funding these things too yes you know they're funding the environmental movement now so we can't use our own gasoline and russia can make a fortune off of the uh off of their oil right so i mean this is this is history does repeat itself if you're not paying attention to history you're doomed to repeat it and we're repeating it which is just the epitome of stupidity in, yeah. in, in, in my and, opinion. And see, one thing, the first thing they're going to do, you know, morals are not subjective. Right is always right, and wrong is always wrong. There are times we have to make uh, compromises. We have to choose the lesser of two evils. But most, I mean, all moral principles are always true. The communists... <laughs> are always moral relativists, the socialists, the progressives, the Democrats, whatever you want to call them. They're always moral rel- relativists. They'll always take the point of, well, it's okay to shoplift. That's just, uh, you know, retribution for someone keeping you down, right? No, stealing is still stealing. Yeah, occasionally someone will steal a loaf of bread to feed their family. But in a day and age when, you know, illegal immigrants are bringing in cell phones and free travel and housing and food stamps, and stipends, 
there is no excuse for someone going into a store and stealing what someone else's has or well, going into or, and stealing what they have. Let's just look at, at the last two summers where people are just smashing windows yeah. in shops and taking what they want. Exactly. Well, the way they confuse things, and you got to remember, the father of lies is the devil, right? This is the very first sin when, you know, the serpent says to Eve, you know, God didn't really tell you that. Well, and if he did, you know, the only reason he did is because if you ate the fruit of that tree, you'd be like a God. He's keeping you down. He's subjugating you. That was the first feminist, okay, was the devil. <laughs> and this is why, you know, and I rail about it both in my writings and, and when I talk talk on, on the air, um, this the weapon that they use to inflict this upon people has been almost two generations in the in the making um, to validate the idea of victimhood. Exactly. Exactly. You're a victim by right of birth, by your skin color, by your gender, by your perceived gender, by your religion, by your what state you live in, by your economic status. Um, and this goes back to the seed of relative truth. Very well said. Exactly. Put the words right out of my mouth. People don't, and I, and I was, we were talking about this before the air and I said, well, let's wait for it to be on the air. When I was in school, even, for, even from junior high on, I was always very bothered by the fact that the school year ran out of time before we could get past reconstruction. Yeah. That we never got into the turn of the 20th century or the or, and, and the early 1900s. And I believe even as far back as when I was in school, which is like, I don't know, the 1800s, it was kind of on purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, we never learned about Woodrow Wilson and, 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 and FDR in depth, besides the fact that he he stewarded us through most of World War II. Mm-hmm. If we would have been able to learn about Wilson, especially, who I believe is one of the most evil men ever to inhabit the White House. 100%. Yeah. Um, we would have understood that we've already had fascist governments in the United States, one in Wilson, one in FDR, and I'll even go as far as to say one under LBJ. Oh, certainly. You know, <laughs> so when you have these, these far leftists who are now, and I'm identifying them as fascist left saying that the right are Nazis, the people on the right are Nazis, they're white supremacists, they're, they're born of the Nazi ilk, they're fascists, we have to slap down the fascists, and you've got groups like Antifa, which stands for anti-fascists, mm-hmm. which are actually executing fascist actions. They've redefined what fascism is to facilitate their ability to demonize their opponents and divide. And that comes, we saw that exactly in what you had to deal with on that forum. Yeah. And I mean, (laughs) you mentioned like the whole anti-fascist thing. I mean, they call us Nazis. I mean, isn't it a little ironic that socialists are calling conservatives Nazis when Nazis would be the National Socialist Workers Party? Yeah, this this is this is this is the reason, and, and I just reiterates my point that we didn't teach contemporary history, or just just plain linear history, just remembering what happened two, three, or four, or five years ago. Everything is always. I've heard people say before, liberalism is a mental disorder. Mm-hmm. 
it's almost like liberals wake up each day and everything that happened before, they have no memory of it. They have a myth they hold on to, but they have no linear progression of history and, and actually what happened so that whatever they're told on, you know, morning Joe that day, well, it must be true. They consume the spoon feeding. That is, that, that is without a doubt. That's without a doubt. The fact that we didn't, that we don't, that our society doesn't understand what Wilson did. You know, Mussolini thought that FDR's form of fascism was awesome. Yeah. He wrote articles about it in the paper over there. He wrote to FDR congratulating him on his brand of fascism in the United States. But we never hear anything about that. And oh. the con- and the contemporary left has has literally taken the definition of fascism as it was defined by the people who actually made it into a a politic Mussolini and then the and the Nazis of the 1930s going into the 40s and completely upended it put it put put it completely backwards accusing capitalists of being socialists uh accusing conservatives of being fascists when fascists is a leftist ideology born out of socialism and Marxism. But we wouldn't know that because we don't teach it. Well, that's the thing. I mean, you look at Wilson and you look at FDR. That, (laughs) the reason they were the champions of public education is because in the North, almost everybody was being educated by Catholic schools. And you didn't have to be Catholic. Protestants and Jews went to Catholic schools. If somebody couldn't afford to go to a Catholic school, you know, the uh, Monsignor or whoever was running the school would say, you know, can you take out the trash? Can you shovel a little bit of coal? They would work it out so the tuition would be pennies. And in the South, the same thing was being done by uh, Presbyterians, Baptists, Episcopalians. The religious schools were the biggest threat to communism, socialism, progressivism. This was, I mean, you know, Margaret Sanger had the temerity to actually say it out loud. She just wanted to execute all the blacks and browns and Catholics and Jews. Or the Wilsons and especially, okay, he did not make any secret of what he thought. He sponsored the film Birth of a Nation. Mm-hmm. Okay? This was a really sick SOB. And he was, I mean, think about, all right, you mentioned LBJ a few minutes ago. When LBJ became president, The South was the solid South. It was the the Democrat solid South. And the Democratic Party was seen as a more socially conservative party. This was another part of that whole communist lie of divide and conquer. The whole South was going to church, you know, twice a week, Wednesdays and Sundays, voting for the socialists and progressives that were destroying religion and morality in Washington, D.C., this is the read. This is a, a perfect example of of the manipulation of definitions that the left is famous for. And when when everybody who's listening, when Judson says the word progressive, you can you can exchange that with the word fascist because they are interchangeable. Yeah, absolutely, Overton window. I mean, come on. As those Democrats were championing uh, civil rights, as they were saying, you know, Martin Luther King, you know, hung the moon. What was LBJ doing? He had the FBI investigating Martin Luther King in the South. Ku Klux Klan was the enforcer of the Democratic Party. 
if you were Catholic or Jewish, if you were an uppity black, as they used to say, they would mm-hmm. not just come burn crosses in your front yard. They would kill you. Most people don't know this, and this would probably shock the Black Lives Matter movement. More Catholics were lynched in the South than blacks ever were. Mm-hmm. The greatest massacre of uh, well, people in the South was a bunch of Sicilians in New Orleans. I mean, the the, the Klan had an iron stronghold. And this is, you know, you were talking about the 60s as if it was so long ago. I grew up in the 80s and 90s in North Carolina. Billboards, there was a couple on I-95. You know, anybody going from New York down to Florida would see it. There were ones in just about every county east of, oh, east of Raleigh or Charlotte that said Ku Klux Klan of this county or the Ku Klux Klan of North Carolina and the Democrat Party of North Carolina welcomes you to our state. Please remember to obey our laws. And it had a man, you know, in, in the Klan robes on a horse with the uh, St. Andrew's Cross, the you know, uh, their Klan version of the Confederate flag and burning crosses in the background. I mean, this was not a welcoming sign. And these were people that got Bill Clinton elected. Yeah. As, as a matter of fact, if you go back, it's kind of hard to find now. But in the not too distant past, you could still find the original Clinton Gore buttons and lapel pins and stuff, and they were using the Confederate flag. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, in the, in their in their official propaganda, and it, it needs to be noted here that you're talking about um, the 80s and 90s that the the Klan itself was something that Woodrow Wilson just he loved the idea. Absolutely. That's what his movie was all about. You know, he loved the idea. He thought it was yeah. awesome and he supported them in everything that they did. And it really wasn't even anti-black. It was anti-Catholic. Even in, you know, my favorite movie of uh, the last 20 years, Old Brother, Where Art Thou? Mm-hmm. The Klan rally out there, you know, the guys, you know, ranting about the papists. I mean, it's because the Catholic Church is the largest Christian denomination in the world. Uh, of course, the oldest actually being founded by Jesus Christ himself and the only moral authority on the face of the earth that can counter and supersede any government. How many divisions does the Pope have? Remember that? Yeah. A yeah. lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Actually united. And if when I say I'm extremely ecumenical, I mean, the, all those people that are coming to my door to tell me I'm going to hell because I go to a Catholic church, uh, we still go out after uh, an ice storm drops trees over the road, and we're side by side cutting up trees and clearing the road. We're asking each other about our families. Christian unity is the biggest threat to communism. When those billboards were up, when I was a kid in the 80s and 90s and all that, you went into any diner, any gas station, any place where people would stop and go in, go to the bathroom. And they were called Chick Books. Jack Chick was a comic book artist, we will say, that would write these comics about how Catholics uh, drank the blood of infants in the Eucharist. (laughs) How Catholics were smuggling children for pedophilia rings, right? Again, this story seems very familiar, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And, And not just from your experience on your... On, on that platform, but from stories in the mainstream media and on social media. Yep. You know, I'm, we're going to take a quick break here to push some stuff. Um, we're talking with Judson Carroll. He is 
not only an author, but he is the host of uh, Southern Appalachian Herbs podcast. You can find that on iHeartRadio. Anywhere you actually you you listen to your podcast, he he comes up if you do a search. Um, and he's got a brand new Substack out, which I'm kind of excited about. Um, but we're going to stop for a second. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit about faith as a community builder. You know, we, we've talked about the division that uh, that the, the power mongers like to push out into the community in order to make a, a community subservient, uh, the different demographics pitted against one once another. But when we come back, I want to talk about uh, how faith can be a community builder. You're listening to Underground USA. My name is Frank Salvato. We'll be right back after this. Many claim race is the most important issue we face in America. Yet race is not what defines most Americans. I see myself as a confident, strong, beautiful young girl. I want to actually be the first girl on the moon. How do I see myself? I see myself as an entertainer. I like to dance, sing, and act. Sometimes I see myself as a little kid. Sometimes I see myself as a teenager. It's kind of hard to tell when you're 10. I see myself as strong. And I'm a spiritual being having a human experience. I see myself as a book. A book that you can't skip to the end and figure out what happens. A book that you have to sit and go through the pages and figure out what happens next. I think there's so many things that... uh define us and we shouldn't define ourselves by one or two things or we are a whole lot of things a collection of many things please join us if you want to live in an america where you are defined by who you are not by the color of your skin this message was paid for by color us united an educational nonprofit advocacy group seeking to heal the divide in america to learn more log on to colorusunited.org back with Judson Carroll. He is the host of Southern Appalachian Herbs podcast. Uh, he's got a few books out we're going to talk about a little bit later, uh, especially his new one. And uh, Judson, we've hit on all of the ways that communities can be divided. But, and this is something that is not a mainstream concept, unless you are somebody who's willing to stand up and, and, and not be influenced by the pressures of society today. But faith and, and the church and the synagogue and, and whatever central thought process you have in a, in a faith base, it can be a community builder, can't it? Oh, absolutely. Um, it's, it's just the brotherhood of man. Uh, you know, back uh, um, when Obama had just been elected and things were getting, they were kind of starting to move in the direction they'd kind of gone high speed in recently there were people were getting very politically correct and i remember I, I was at home at the time i was working in a different town and i knew people and i'd speak to people and um but you know in that entire christmas season no one wished me a merry christmas mm-hmm. it was like people were afraid to say merry christmas uh, i think bill o'reilly did a whole series about this time you know about that very topic and one person Wish me a Merry Christmas. And he was an Egyptian Muslim. That stuck out to me. Um, 
well, contrast, obviously, but that a, an Egyptian Muslim whose family came here uh, to flee, essentially, they were had moved from Egypt to Iran uh, after the Iranian Revolution. They got the heck out of there and came to America. <laughs> That's a little bit of a, an extreme right there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, but for an Egyptian Muslim to be the only person to wish me a Merry Christmas, it made me think long and hard. Because immediately what that said to me is he respected me. He didn't agree with me on everything, but he saw us as brothers. He saw us as, you know, fellow human beings related at the core, coming from two common parents at the, in the very beginning on this planet, working together as friends. You know, I later <laughs> found out he told me that um, he loved the smell of bacon and ham. <laughs> <laughs> like, is there anything I can eat that would be an alternative to this? I said, yeah, okay, I'm going to teach you to go duck hunting because we can we can cure ducks and we can cure it. So I'm, I was literally after that point willing to put a, uh, a shotgun in a, in a Muslim guy's hand and take him out to the swamp. Uh, just a few years after 9-11. So, yeah, you know, not, a, not, a, not a popular thing to be doing at that <laughs> yeah. time with the fear that was running <laughs> through the, like that, through the just, country. Yeah. Just respecting each other's religions, just acknowledging that there is such a thing as religion. Um, that's the core of humanity. The only thing you hear about today in the, in the mainstream media when, you, when the subject of religion is broached is when someone goes and shoots up a house of worship. And that's the only time you have compassion towards religion in, in, in the news sphere, in the mainstream sphere. Otherwise, it's about how it encroaches onto society. And I, I just find that, that contention, that, that yeah. faith is encroaching into society, so bizarre. But see, that's also part of that whole original lie. You know, I say Satan's the father of lies. And that's saying the problem is not... Uh, what you've done wrong. Uh, the problem is is the person who has morals. The person who says something is wrong. But let me go one little tangent because if, if I didn't, I would be totally remiss. A little jackass that went down to Charleston, South Carolina, and shot up the Mother Emanuel Church that started mm -hmm. basically the whole recent BLM and all that movement. I mean, yeah, I know. Of course, uh, well, anyway, we all know where, where BLM comes from and we know the various things. But the one that started the new era of this, you know, racist, white supremacists are all the problem. Yeah, he came from North Carolina and um, he actually came from a town that I spent about half my childhood in. Very near there, that county. Uh, this county, uh, Robinson County, North Carolina, uh, is Lumberton. <laughs> Lumberton, well known as used to be the murder capital of America. By the way, it's uh, right on I-95, always had a huge problem with crime. Lumberton and Robinson County in general is comprised of three different races. It's, it's essentially one-third black, one-third white, and one-third It's actually uh, the county where the Native Americans had a shooting war with the Ku Klux Klan in the 1970s. It's had racial tension like you would not believe. Growing up there, really spent a lot of my childhood there. All my friends <laughs> were black and Indian. We played baseball together. We played football together. We went and helped each other out on each other's farms. Our grandmothers cooked for each other, uh, for, for us, you know, for the kids. There was no racial tension whatsoever 
until we got into high school and college and were told to hate each other. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not, that's not just uh, specific to, to your location. I've never, you know, I, my sister was lived in the, in the, in Chicago for many years. I, I was in music and played with a lot of black artists. Mm-hmm. We, we didn't, did. we didn't see skin color. Yeah. If you were a jerk, then we called you a jerk. If you were a good, a, a good person or a talented person, we, we recognized you for that. If you were kind, we recognized you for that. If you were shy, we recognized you for that, but there was never, and well, I'm not hanging out with you, man, because you're black. Yeah. And the churches were the heart of it. I mean, we went to each other's churches, you know, I mean, basically the only time we separated was on Sunday because you know, the Presbyterians went to the Presbyterian churches and the black kids went to the black churches and all that. But when there was a funeral, we all came together. Right. Um, and actually, did you did you ever know Mike Adams? He was a professor at uh, UNC Wilmington. He was a columnist, conservative. I've talked to him a few times, sure. Yeah, he was a good friend of mine. And, you know, he, he committed suicide not long ago because basically they finally uh, were successful in taking his tenure away and Destroying his life because he came out as a uh, conservative college professor, and and that's that's something that people should hear again. Here is someone who was whose career and life was being threatened because he wasn't in lockstep with the educational yeah. complex that's in power today, pushing leftist and fascist things to the point where he was in such despair he took his life. And not a man you would think would do. Mike was good humored. He was brilliant. Um, he was a happy warrior. I mean, that was Mike Adams. Mike Adams was a happy warrior. Mm-hmm. When someone challenged him, you know, I mean, he was a PhD in criminology. He would just dig in there and he had so much fun debating people. But when the, they were threatening his family and his wife had to leave, when they were in his driveway and in his front yard, threatening to burn down his house every day. And when uh, I think it really had a lot to do with COVID, he uh, could not teach because the classes were closed. The college was closed down and they said he hadn't put in enough hours or submitted enough uh, articles to scholarly journals and it took his tenure away and he, he lost everything. He lost hope. The way he was treated by the masses the the protesting the threatening the coercion um when you go back into contemporary history which once again is not being taught this is this is what the thugs of the fascist movements did not only in italy and germany with the brown shirts and the black shirts but right here in the united states under under wilson and fdr yeah the red shirts yeah you had you had groups of people who did exactly this. So today, the people who are doing this may call themselves Antifa. They may call themselves anti-fascists, but they betray themselves because of what they're doing. They're executing fascism. Yeah. Well, and see, that actually started, you know, what, what popped into my head when I said the red shirts. There is a town. Uh, not far from where I'm sitting right now. I'm away from home right now, by the way, down in the middle part of the state. And uh, it was actually founded by red shirts. And um, 
and <laughs> a uh, the Ku Klux Klan. Essentially, it was always fascist, communist, and Klan. They wanted to basically nationalize the cotton mills and all that. They plan, uh, you know, I mentioned before, they always carry the saying on Andrew's Cross in North Carolina were incredibly associated with the Presbyterian Church. Uh, David Horowitz wrote about how the, one of the first organizations the communists infiltrated was the Presbyterian women's organizations. And they really championed all the you know, women's rights and civil rights and all that. Anything that turns people against each other and supposedly the name of a good cause. They um, founded a lot of colleges. And you would be absolutely amazed how many of the radical, true radical communists essentially hid out as college professors in North Carolina on, on Presbyterian campuses throughout the 60s, 70s, and 80s. They delighted in educating the wealthy children of the, you know, cotton plantation owners of North Carolina and tobacco uh, and, you know, furniture mill children and sending them out into the world as anti, well, certainly anti-Catholic, anti-Christian, um, pure communists. And those are the ones that, uh, in fact, the very family who was suing Mike uh, most of that time were one of those very prominent uh, Presbyterian Democrat uh, families. Um, and that's the reason we have a purely communist fascistic uh, university system. And then, and this university system is out of control. I, I have been, and I said this during the COVID uh, event, I'm, I just, I'm not going to give it to calling it a pandemic. I think there was so much wrong with the way that it was handled and so much disinformation about the severity of COVID. And I'm not saying that people didn't get sick and die from it, mm -hmm. but uh, you know, there were other ways to go about it than getting the, the vaccines and, and, and CJ and I certainly did that. We survived it and did it much yeah. quicker than the vaccines. Um, it was just a freaking flu. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a, a different strain, but it was something that absolutely could be dealt with without having to do the lockdowns that we had. And, and a lot of those elderly patients were almost purposefully killed for treatment and not the virus. Well, it's you know you take a look at who was pushing the virus and and the fact that a lot of them are population control freaks, and mm -hmm. that says a lot. And a lot of that gain and function research was done right here in the University of North Carolina system at Chapel Hill. You know, this is stuff you don't hear, you know, but I was always very, I thought the right missed a golden opportunity to throw a Molotov cocktail into the higher education scheme that's in this country. If they would have just come together, which I know is an oxymoron, the right coming together over anything. But if they would have just come together to put a potent online university together that was affordable yeah. for people to be and, and comprehensive, mm -hmm. a good one, it could have opened up doors not only for, for college educations and meaningful college educations for even the poorest people in the United States, it would have circumvented the indoctrination that as you rightly point out, the fascist and communist left 
insist on putting into what they call education today at the college and the, and the advanced high school levels. The right completely dropped the ball on that. Well, I absolutely agree. I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I guess uh, maybe accreditation would be an issue, but, you know, what is accreditation, actually? It, it's just a bunch of guys, you know, sitting around saying, yeah, we approve of you and you approve of me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've, and I've said this to, to CJ a hundred times, unless you're going to medical school, unless you're going to law school, or you are going to, you're studying to be a, a scientist, the education that you get on business, in the arts, you know, you get out of college. And, and, and you've got your business degree, you're still going into the job that you get to be trained on how they want you to do it. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's just something to put on a resume. It's just a foot in the door. Yeah. So I, the, the, accredited, the accredited college degree for two-thirds of what is offered in college doesn't mean jack. No, not a thing. And, and again, I mean, even for very practical things like, uh, you know, I'm all obsessed with farming and gardening and all that. Uh, if you look into the agricultural schools, um, they teach exactly what the large chemical companies want them to know. So let's say you have a large chemical company that makes, oh, let's say Roundup. I'm just throwing that name out let's, there. Let, let's, just go, let's just go straight ahead and say Monsanto. Yeah, let's just say that. Well, the curriculum essentially comes directly from that company to teach them you have to use this product or you cannot be an efficient farmer. And when you get out of there, if you don't follow what's called industry best practices, mm -hmm. uh, you don't get your crop insurance. You don't get your farm loans. Yeah, you can't make it as a farmer. So essentially, if you go to an agricultural or horticultural school, certainly in North Carolina, uh, I mean, NC State University is essentially owned by Smithfield Pork, which is owned by the Chinese Communist Party. Mm -hmm. Okay, you're going to go and learn exactly this is fascism in action. Fascism, you have to remember, is where the government essentially mandates the industry and the industry funnels funds back into the government. When you go to an agricultural school, let's say NC State, you are, yeah, you may. You know, they say states are more of a more of a conservative college. You may even be able to opt out of a lot of the progressive and liberal ideology, but you're still fitting right in as the square peg, round peg, yeah, round peg into the hole of the fascist system. Yeah, it's a the, this is system. When they talk about systemic things, the left likes to always use the word systemic, systemic racism, sexism, you know, whatever. It's systemic. I the left always telegraphs what they're doing in their own accusations against others. Yes. They have systemically captured society today in, in creating the rules that we have to live by. And, and what you just said is a perfect example. If you don't use what is taught in the ag schools, then you can't get your insurance. Mm -hmm. then you can't get the loans. Then you can't get the things that everybody else is doing because they're playing the game and they're, they're doing it by the way that they were indoctrinated to do it. And, and this gets me to the, to the last point I want to cover with you. This is when, and you, you talked about 
the definition of fascism. Absolutely. Today, they like to call it a public-private partnership. <laughs> a nice way to put it, huh? You know, yeah, it's so touchy-feely. It's like planned parenthood. You know, or it's like, uh, like when the um, immigration actually went to raid the Smithfield pork plant in Tar Hill, North Carolina, and uh, somehow the 90% illegal immigrant uh, population of the workforce there in Smithfield got tipped off before immigration came in and, and went out and rioted and started uh, beating the INS officers with chair legs. See, you know, I, I thought you were... Uh, I thought you were going to say they were redefined into, it was redefined into, and the INS liberated the poor indentured well, illegal aid. To smooth that all over, uh, they all became unionized. Yeah. That is a, another subject that can go on for weeks, is how the unions played into the, into the co-opting of, of representative government here in the United States. But when the government becomes, and, and this is what the fascists fascists have been trying to do since the very inception here in the united states and if you think that italy and germany were the were was the cultivating breeding ground of fascism you're you're mistaken it goes back to the wilson era and just before it we are the ones that sowed the seed of fascism in the united states that italy and germany ran with and and i won't say perfected but they advanced it onto the, the main stage and crowed about it, screamed about it from the mountaintops. Hey, did you ever see that Robert Burns video where he's literally saying, um, if we could come up with an efficient way to eliminate the inferior races, perhaps something like a gas chamber. Yeah. It was what, 10 years, 20 years before Hitler? I mean, yep. you know, yep. yeah, American invented the gas chamber in theory at least it's all all hitler and and the nazis and and mussolini and the fascists did was take ideas that were sowed here during the wilson administration brought them to fruition mm -hmm. but the, the under the underlying thing that they really wanted to do and this goes back to the to the confrontation you had over religion is for government to become the alpha and the omega rather than religion they needed government to be the highest authority in anybody's life because then they got to bestow the natural rights they, they had an argument to be able to look at the at our founding documents and say well by the creator well we're you know it's a living document there there are a set of living documents what we mean by the creator is is we've created the government so you know if healthcare is a right, we can deem that. If equity is a right, then we can deem the equal outcome for everybody and, and just get rid of all this individualism stuff because we are the rule makers. The, the, our framers needed people to understand that the creator, that, that our inalienable rights, and they're enumerated to a great extent and then expounded upon in the Bill of Rights, that they're bestowed upon us naturally by a much higher power than government can ever achieve. And the fascists want to flip that on its head. Am I wrong? Not, not at least, not at least wrong. And isn't it uh, uh, ironic, I guess we would say, or, or maybe very predictable that the greatest champion of the little guy, the guy that's going to, he's going to be your leader in Washington. He's going to give you everything and you're going to get the Obama phone and, from his stash, right? 
is going to be somebody like, you know, John Edwards on a private jet with a $500 head haircut. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the, the red flag words there were give you everything that you need. Exactly. I mean, they talk about equality, but you say, I'm okay, good example. Healthcare is a right. Well, healthcare, our rights are free. Rights are given by God. I don't need to be, uh, I don't take from someone else to have a right to free speech. I don't take from someone else to have a right to religion. Uh, for me to have free healthcare is taking someone else's money or labor. And it's, and it's, it's all, and, 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 and it's also defining what healthcare is. Yes, exactly. You know, as an, as an herbalist and, and to give a, a quick synopsis here, Judson and I became acquainted with one another uh, because CJ used to listen to his podcast, still does listen to your podcast every time they come out. Um, because they're into they're they're herbalists. They're into um, looking at natural things and finding remedies and things that can help you live healthier and better lives without going through the pharmaceutical industry, number one, but with things that are around you, number two. And that's how we got through COVID was she uh, created a, a, a tincture out of Chicona bark and, and, you know, that translated into a, a derivative of uh, hydroxychloroquine. We used some ivermectin. We used other other herbs, and we got through it in three days. Three days with no repercussions. You know, so there are ways to do this, but that's that's how Judson and I became to acquainted with one another. And when you're talking about the definition of healthcare, it's it goes back to the example that you gave about agriculture. If you're not doing it the way the insurance companies and the pharmaceutical industry said that healthcare needs to be executed. Well, then you're just not going to be covered. Right. Or, or as a doctor, you lose your license if you go off, off school. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's, it, CJ's on a tear today because her, her doctor, who is a, actually one of the good guys, I, I have to say, um, prescribed her an EpiPen because she's allergic to red wasp stings and she lives, uh, we live out in the country. Well, the pharmacy called and said, are you sure you want this? And she went, well, yeah, I kind of need it. And they said, because it's like $260 for a pen. Wow. And she's livid. And she, I I think she has every right to be livid. Epinephrine is something that is, that is prevalent. It's not an expensive drug at all. And it's something that she needs to survive, but the pharmaceutical industry playing the business game, has made that a commodity and, and given people no choice. And that's the game that the Obamacare ushered in this game of healthcare is now a business. It's not about the patient anymore. It's about the bottom line. Yeah. Yeah. And they did that a few years ago with uh primate myths. Speaking of, yeah. uh, you know, I have, I have asthma. I would come to rely on that for a while when I was using a lot of herbs and I know a lot of people. I mean, when I used to, when I was a kid, I worked in a pharmacy who lived on primatine mist. And their actual uh, justification for that was that the little bit of aerosol propellant in a little primatine mist canister was causing global warming. Yeah. You see right there, I just, my blood pressure just went up 15 points. Yeah. So take away the over-the-counter product, but everybody on $300 a dose, you know, pharmaceuticals, and we're doing it to save the world. Who yeah. can be saving the world, right? Any, anybody who 
believes in the claptrap that's coming out of the IPCC and the UN about climate change, you really have to take a step back and look at yourself and examine exactly what you're, what you're feeding on. That about it. I mean, the climate's always changing. Yeah, the climate's changed. We've had ice ages and volcanic exactly. ages. Dinosaurs used to be here and they're gone. We will one day be gone. But it's because the earth is going to slough us off. You get that old uh, Charlton Heston uh, quote the Rush used to play all the time, remember? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There on the earth is man and his arrogance. (laughs) Well, it's and and it's the truth. But right now, you know, when you look at the at the climate movement, and this is again another subject that we could go on for weeks about, it's about financial control and power over the people. When the first thing that they did was start a carbon credit exchange on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange yeah. and the Chicago Board of Trade back back in the in the early eighties, late seventies, that was to glean profit off of this. It was and, yeah. and anybody who doesn't understand that doesn't understand the movement. But uh, people, we need to start doing a little bit of research and thinking for ourselves Mm -hmm. because we're being led down a very dangerous path by people who are disingenuous and power hungry. I can I can solve climate change if you want to call that. I can solve so-called anthropogenic global warming uh, in the blink of an eye. Nobody let me do it. Nobody will let anybody who's studied permaculture do it because there's no profit in it. There are grasses, corn. Good old natural corn, not genetically engineered. Sorghum's another one. These are what we call seed-poor plants. They actually pull carbon out of the air and put it in the ground. If you did no-till farming, as opposed to, you know, disking, a lot of people are doing this now, you're actually uh, putting organic matter on the soil and you're pulling carbon out of the atmosphere and putting it into the ground. Um, Corn farmers take all the man-made carbon out of the atmosphere in less than 10 years time and and now the corn farmers are switching to soy because fertilizer is too expensive yeah and see that's the thing and if you do it that way these plants are self-fertilizing you know we don't have to have this chemical fertilizer there's there's this huge industry it's a petrochemical industry in making all this fertilizer but that's not what you're going to be taught in agriculture like today, I'm out gathering an herb. I'm not going to say the name of this herb because it could be incredibly dangerous if misused. Mm-hmm. This herb, a simple tincture of the root, has the same uh, central nervous system uh, depressant abilities as an opiate, as morphine or heroin, without being addictive. Obviously, if you take two or three drops too much, you stop your heart, you die. So that's why I'm not saying the name of the herb. If the pharmaceutical industry was actually interested in getting people off of being hooked to Oxycontin and fentanyl, this free herb God gave for the use of of everyone would be studied and researched and available to the average person. This brings me to your new book. I can't explain enough how much knowledge is contained in the pages of Justin's books when it comes to understanding what's around you, what you can do for yourself, um, the, the potential for the things that grow around you. Judson, tell me about the new book, what people can expect from it, where they can get it. The new book is Growing Your Survival Herb Garden for Preppers, Homesteaders, and Everyone Else. 
It is essentially the follow-up, the sequel to my book, uh, Herbal Medicine for Preppers, Homesteaders, and Permaculture People. The difference in this one is this is for everybody. I mean, permaculture is a just huge design science uh, that requires a lot of knowledge on growing plants and organizing your property. Um, it's built-in resiliency. It's uh, just a big deal, okay? I mean, an average permaculture class is like 270 hours. I mean, it's, you know, a lot of information. This is for everybody at every level. I want people to have an herbal medicine cabinet in their backyard, you know, spring through fall, herbs dried and harvested, stored in a cabinet to be used for the winter for all your common conditions. I give five, six, sometimes eight herbs for anything from sore throats to colds and flus to, you know, whatever, sleep, stress and anxiety, anything you're going to encounter on a daily basis. Uh, it's not going to be, you know, this is not cures for cancer. This is not anything, you know, serious that you have to uh, be careful with. This is stuff like sage and mint and, you know, a bunch of other very interesting herbs. And I tell you how to grow them. I tell you how to uh, grow them on whatever property you're in, whether you have a farm or you've got a little garden in your yard, whether it's container plants on an apartment balcony or a little courtyard in a condo. I really pay a lot of attention to um, homeowners associations, property owners associations. You know, I hate those things. <laughs> it's like that, that's fascism. Let me tell you. That. Yeah, you can't you you can't have that window box in Del Vista exactly. too. You Del- well, most of them say you cannot grow uh, edible food. You can only have ornamental plants. Um, include a lot of herbs. So I actually spent a lot of time t- telling people how they can incorporate herbs into an ornamental landscape that, to the average person, is just going to look like a nice garden of flowers. Beautiful. Beautiful. So, you know, it's, it's, it's about 130 some pages of, you know, I tell you, you know, this plant needs to be germinated in this way. It will grow to this height that needs to be spaced to this amount. It will have, have this color flowers and this color leaves. So you can, you know, have a pretty landscape. Uh, it needs this much sun, it needs this much water and herbs can be tricky. I mean, a lot of herbs have to be cold stratified. The seeds actually have to overwinter in nature or be treated in the refrigerator before they'll sprout. Or some actually, you don't plant them in the ground. They actually need sunlight to germinate. Mm-hmm. So, you know, herbs are a little different than a lot of farming, but it's really cool because, you know, I love to garden. I love to be out in nature. And because a lot of the herbs are actually sown in the fall, uh, it gives us two seasons. But then, you know, here's something that I think was really interesting and really unique. I have a huge section on culinary herbs. All of our culinary herbs so you know basil and oregano and all the good stuff rosemary um they began as medicinal herbs they began they were incorporated by our ancestors into food to present prevent food poisoning to prevent uh, indigestion etc etc a lot of them are strongly antibiotic antibacterial antiviral anti-inflammatory i can go down the list um there is one that was used to be a common uh culinary herb that is a such a strong antiviral that, I mean, it'd be very useful against COVID and it's something we can grow in our gardens and just throw in the salad. So, I mean, I've actually got like almost a third of the book is on medicinal culinary herbs, which you know, I love to eat. So I get really excited about this section. So it's a, it's a fun book and it's available on Amazon. It's available through uh, my um, Substack or JustinCarroll.com. And, uh, you know, if y'all want to buy it and if, hey, if you can't buy it, please request it at your library. You can make it available to you 
you and to everybody in your community. And I still make a few bucks. Now let's talk about the Substack because that is that is something that is new. And thanks to you. That's right. Um, <laughs> y'all, uh, I am the most Luddite. I am not a tech guy at all. Uh, I sent Frank an email. I said, Frank, I, I probably need to come up with a website, you know, under my own name and maybe start doing a newsletter. And he says, let me tell you about Substack. And he walked me through the whole thing. Told you this is a nice guy on the face of the earth. And um, it's my Substack now shows up under my URL. If you type in judsoncarroll.com, it goes to my Substack page. And you can sign up for a free newsletter on there and uh, stay updated. It's Judson Carroll Master Herbalist or just judsoncarroll.com. Beautiful. You know, I'm glad it's working out for you. I find it to be a, a straightforward uh, platform. And boy, when the, when the, the CEO of, or I guess the co-CEO of Substack came out with uh, the statement about Twitter employees, I knew I found the right home. I, I guess, I guess when, uh, when Elon Musk bought his, his 10 to 14% of, of Twitter, uh, the CEO of the co-CEO of Substack came out and said, and Twitter people don't think about finding a home over here because we believe in free speech. <laughs> I do wonder what Musk is up to. You never know what that guy. Hey, I, you know, it's, I, I'm waiting for him to have the, uh, the pods up in space with the food growing like in silent running. But, uh, you know, that's, I'm sure that's not far behind. You know, I want to remind people, you know, I said suddenly uh, I was on this forum and a lot of people I thought my friends just turned on me immediately. And there were a lot of Russian trolls. You know, in the past week, we've seen what happened with the supposed plot, plot to kidnap Richard Whitmire. Mm. Um, you know, if, if you're my age or a little bit older, you probably remember Ruby Ridge. Mm-hmm. where a fairly innocent family just trying to get away from things was essentially set up by the FBI to be used as pawns to infiltrate a militia group. And then they were just gunned down in cold blood, whether it's Russian trolls or whether it's some lunatic, be very careful who you communicate with online. Absolutely. You never know who these people are. And another aspect of some of these groups, and I mean, look, things are really bad right now and getting worse. Um, a lot of people believe we're like in the apocalypse, you know, as a Catholic, I understand that we've been in the end time since the resurrection. <laughs> Nobody knows the date or the hour. There's wars, there's rumors of wars. There's going to be bad things all the time. Is this the end times? I don't know. Anybody who says they do. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody knows the date or the hour, not even Jesus, because in his human form, not. Uh, information that he was allowed to impart, I guess you would say. Um, anyone who says we're in the end times, hunker down, we need to all get into one community somewhere in the Ozarks, and, and you know, either they're wrong or Jesus is wrong. And I, I'm betting on Jesus. Yeah, I think I think the, the odds the odds are better better for for that. Yeah, and it's also could easily turn into like a Ruby Ridge kind of situation. And I just want to warn people, just be careful and kind of keep your head out there. Given what's coming out about the FBI lately, and given the track record of, of the DOJ under under uh, people like Janet Reno and, and Eric Holder, 
Mm -hmm. uh, you do have to worry about that because when you do get into something that a, a community that you truly believe and it is something that is going against the grain of society, they will look at you with a critical eye and they will find ways to to dissolve what you're trying to do. And sometimes, as Justin just pointed out, it can turn deadly. Yeah. You know. It doesn't mean you're wrong. You may be completely right. I'm not saying these people are right. I'm just saying, well, you know, we remember Ruby Rich. We remember Waco. We remember now Gretchen Whitmire and, and January 6th. And uh, you don't know who you're talking to on the other side of that computer screen. The number one rule in politics that I, I learned coming up through through the labyrinth of politics that was my family um, is to uh, never offer information. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You know, consume as much as you can and make your own judgments, but you know, be, be judicious about who you share your information with knowledge is power. And when bad people have knowledge about what you believe and what you're doing, bad things will always come back to you. Yeah. And George Washington said it very well. I mean, I'm just paraphrasing. He said, "He uh, be courteous to all, but have very few friends that you only confide in after you've really tested them out. You know, yeah. that's not really good. Yeah, but well, it's, the, it's good advice. Judson, we will talk again. All right. All right. Yeah, have a good one. I always appreciate being on anytime you want. And say hey to CJ uh, for me. I mean, you know, she's the reason this all came together. Absolutely. You're listening to Underground USA. My name is Frank Salvato. We'll be right back after this. I'm Judson Carroll, and I'm an herbalist. I'd like to invite you to listen to my show, the Southern Appalachian Herbs Podcast. It's available wherever you like to listen to podcasts. It's a show with a conservative Christian worldview, and it's about a lot more than just herbal medicine. It's about an independent way of life, being more self-reliant, less reliant on the government, the medical industry, the pharmaceutical industry, and the supply chain. With freedom comes responsibility. Sometimes that responsibility is putting food on the table. Other times it's caring for yourself and your family with home remedies. So give it a listen. I think you'll enjoy it, and it may just save your life. Freedom of religion is one of the reasons that people came to the United States before it was even the United States. The taskmasters of Europe placed themselves above religion, co-opting the moniker of Alpha and Omega from the Creator. You don't have to push your religion on to everyone that you know. You can if you want to, but you don't have to. I personally believe it is an individual spiritual journey. And I have my own beliefs, and I believe them wholeheartedly. But we don't have the right to deny someone their beliefs. We don't have the right to tell people that they can't believe the way they want to believe. That's enshrined in the First Amendment to the Constitution, the freedom to practice your religion. When people like Justin go through what they did online, that's not just intolerant. It's anti-American. It's anti-freedom anti-liberty. And everyone, whether you are Roman Catholic, Jewish, Islamic, atheist, because we're all Americans, we have to defend everyone's right to be able to practice their religion. I want to take this opportunity to wish everybody a very happy, joyous, healthy, and blessed Easter Sunday. 
You're listening to Underground USA. My name is Frank Salvato. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.